This is Faux Real, a podcast where I chat with indie filmmakers about their filmmaking processes, their inspirations, and what their stories mean to them. And I'm your host, Dawn Borchardt. In this week's episode, I talk with filmmaker Jamie Boyle for a documentary, Anonymous Sister, a trigger warning for a drug addiction for this episode. Hi, I'm Jamie Boyle. I'm the director, editor, and cinematographer of Anonymous Sister. The film is about my family's experience with opioid addiction um, about 13 years ago and how we navigated our way through it and kind of couches that in the larger uh, story of the epidemic nationally in the United States. So we had kind of mentioned this when we first hopped on, but we had had a bit of an issue with scheduling this interview because like you got sick, I got sick, we were both busy. And I have to say that there was a large part of me that every time we weren't able to make it had a sense of relief (laughs) because I was like, you know, these, this conversation, like this film is really hard to watch in a lot of ways. And I think stories like this, come with a great sense of like a balance of charge and release like inspiration to help people and change like help fix opioid epidemic but also like dealing with all of these really really intense emotions and I can relate to a lot of the things that you know you and your family are going through in this film so every time I got the chance to not have this conversation I was like oh <laughs> like good that I won't have to like That's go to bed at night. Understandable. <laughs> That's very understandable. I, I get it. But I, 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 I'm there with you. But I'm very happy to be talking to you. So it's certainly not a bad thing. But it was just like it's the it was the one interview that I was like I'm fine not doing this today. I so I saw your film at Mountain Film Fest and you had zoomed in for the Q and A and it was very emotional to watch. Like I was definitely crying in the theater and la- and I knew what I was getting into to an extent but I guess I just didn't think too much about how I would feel about it and how much it would end up like affecting you know I'm just at a film festival and yes there's a lot of intense things but I wanted to like go on with my day and like go to lunch and like hang out with people and then I was like you know what I don't want to talk to a goddamn person right now <laughs> so <laughs> But I'm super happy to be talking to you. But yeah, it's just, it's an intense film. I'm laughing, but I, I know <laughs> yes. exactly what you we're, mean. We're I'm both laughing because I relate, yes. <laughs> How, what can you do but laugh? Right. <laughs> well, this is such a personal story to you. So can we just start by talking about how did making this film come about? Yeah, sure. So, you know... Not to give too too much away, but I, I started making the film about 13 years ago now. I'm losing track of time. But when I was actually still in college, um, in film school in Boulder, Colorado, and my mom and sister both simultaneously started being prescribed opioids for... My sister had some injuries from being nationally ranked figure skater her whole life, and my mom had back pain and... It started out, you know, kind of these, this like acute short-term prescribing, but then very, very, very quickly, both of them, you know, saw increasing pain matched by 
increasing prescriptions. And sometime around my senior year, I decided to start filming them. I needed to do a project for, you know, my my junior year, senior year, sorry, I guess. And I was getting increasingly frustrated and really terrified about what was happening. And it didn't seem to matter which doctors we went to or hospitals or or who we sought advice from or guidance from. It was the same answer that they were safe, that they were effective, that all kinds of misinformation that we now know to be you know, so dangerous or, or hopefully is the word is getting out that it is, but things like, you know, you can't get addicted if you're in real pain. And so I was just, just embarking on what I didn't know would become a documentary career, but, you know, really using documentary, I think in the way it was intended, but it was very much a knee jerk reaction of both like hiding behind the camera and seeking answers and holding up a mirror and doing all these things that I didn't really know how to do in real life or I tried and hadn't worked. And so I filmed them. And so this film kind of is like the start of it or the impetus for it is two part because there was that. And then I went on to a doc career and covered a lot of social justice issues and other things. And my mom and sister have both navigated sobriety. And a few years ago, I, I say a few years ago, but now I think it's like, I don't know, five years ago or something because I've lost track of time. But I decided to make a feature film. They were experiencing new hurdles in their sobriety all the time. My sister was pregnant with her first child, which was going to be her first interaction with the medical community since getting off opioids. And all kinds of new things and fears started coming back up. And then in the midst of it, we had a nation that was like finally starting to use the term opioid epidemic for the first time. And it was gaining real mass media attention. And yeah, I just felt like I wanted to get that footage back out from when I was in college and share that story for so many different reasons, but mostly to to tell this very personal, to shine this very personal lens on it. And you know, show what it's like inside your own family, because I think that's a vantage point we don't often have, maybe in narrative film, but it's really tough to see in real life. And it felt important to meet people where they were. So that was the, that's kind of the origin story or the two origin story. Did people in your life know that this was going on with you? And you know, I went to film school too. So I know that when you're making a film in school, you're constantly showing progress to people, your classmates and your professors around you. So did people know that this was happening to you? And what was that like when people started to find out like what was going on at home? Cause you're making this. Yeah, that's a great question because actually my social circle was completely separate from my film peers. I was in a sorority, I was on the dance team, I and then my film world was totally different. It was almost all male. There was one other female and one non-binary person in my film school, but it was very masculine energy and I kind of felt like the odd man out and didn't really fit in and didn't nobody really seemed to want to talk to me. So I kind of laid low as far as that goes. So they didn't see it until the end, until we showed our final films and it ended up our, our classmates actually got to vote for which film gets wins the year and gets the scholarship, and they all ended up voting for this one. But I think it was because afterwards they all asked, 
how do you know, how did you get access to this family? How do you know these people? And I realized that I had like left myself out entirely and left that piece of it out that like my, my role in it at all, that was very enlightening. And I said, well, it's, it's, that's my family. Can't you tell that's my mom and sister? And they, and then it was like, you could have heard a needle drop. They didn't really know what to do because we weren't close. I had the one other woman in film school come up to me afterwards and hug me and we became fast friends and she just gave me so much love and support. But actually this speaks to the stigma surrounding the issue. None of the people in my normal social circle knew at all. In fact, some of my closest friends didn't know until this film came out. One of which I was, my college roommate who I lived with came to the Denver Film Festival premiere and well, our premiere in Denver, our premiere was at Doc NYC, but she came and she didn't even know what the film was about. She just wanted to support me. And she had been living with me while I was making this. And she was so devastated to learn that I'd been going through this and didn't share it. I mean, she understood why, but yeah. So, you know, all, all of my closest friends didn't, didn't know. I kind of stopped going out. I stopped doing, you know, I had a huge change in personality, but, and really just dove wholeheartedly into film but yeah, it definitely speaks to it. I don't know if it was the stigma. I don't know. I didn't, I, I wanted to protect them. I didn't want people to think of them differently. And I just had no idea where to place this within a conversation or, I mean, there was no, nothing to hold on to. I did not know what was happening. So I didn't even know what to tell people if I wanted to. I mean, there's so much stigma and shame surrounding it. And especially when you're trying to, like, especially when you're young. I mean, when we're in college, we're, like, we're getting older, but we're still young enough that, like, it really matters what other people are thinking of us, I think. And it's not – people do change the way that they perceive you when you tell them something like that. It totally does, like, a permanent shift in their mind of, like, who they think you are. So I totally understand that. I think – the biggest thing that I wanted to talk to you about today is just how making this film has been for you. Because I almost think of it in my mind, and maybe you don't think of it this way, but like therapy, where like going to therapy can be so hard in so many ways. Like in the long term, it's like great. But sometimes in those short term moments, like appointment to appointment kind of thing, it's really hard. And you're like, why am I doing this to myself? This is like torture. And I don't want to think about this. And I want to deal with this. But like, what has it been like for you to make this film in that process and afterwards? Like, you know, all of that. Yeah, no, that's a great question. I've likened it to therapy a lot. I mean, I think I'm still... I think I'm still kind of in the midst of it and I'm almost still in the aftermath of trying to, again, yeah, see like its larger placement in my life and trajectory and I probably won't see it fully or clearly for years, but it definitely felt exactly what you're describing, like self-torture a lot of times. And I think if I could go back or if I tell other people who are working on very personal or, you know, trying films that... It you know, self-care has gotten such like bad rap, but like whatever you want to call it, um, just make sure you're doing it in spades. Because I think, you know, the thing with therapy is it's a protected space. It's a, you know, it's, there are a lot of tools there. It's, it's a, 
inherently positive thing that has almost no downsides. But if this is done wrong, there can be very real downsides for everybody. So that's not to scare anybody away, but I think everybody should go in knowing the severity of that. And it's a responsibility on your family members or your subjects or participants or volunteers, however you would like to refer to people, you know, who agree to appear in documentaries, namely to them, but also to you as the filmmaker or the storyteller or also one of the participants. Like, it's not, a it shouldn't be a, a light undertaking. So I do wish I was a little more equipped to I wish I had equipped myself better throughout. I mean, how could any of us have equipped ourselves for COVID, which is I cut the majority of it during that, which was both a help and a hindrance. It was a help in that I was really reminded viscerally of that kind of outsized fear of, I shouldn't say outsized because it was justified, but that fear of these phenomenons larger than can be controlled and misinformation and just this mess of public health crises that are handled entirely the wrong way. And also it was hard because I was isolated and I didn't have my normal tools and my normal things to lean back on. But but with all of that said, I, I do think it was a positive. I think it helped me digest it in a new way. I've always felt the need to investigate all of the things that were at play all of the things that factored in and, you know, pour back through our lives almost and kind of just sit with it all. And the thing I wish I had, I had given, I wish I had given myself more time because I was also like always cognizant of deadlines. And those things really shouldn't be in your head when you're, you know, facing something like this again for the first time. You really should not be thinking about the Sundance deadline or what, you know, what have you. So I think that's just an industry-wide thing that that probably we need to address. But yeah, I mean, it was it was beautiful in so many ways. I think it allowed me to heal, and in ways you know I might never fully understand. You mentioned self care. What are some things that you did to take care of yourself while you're editing this and making it? Yeah, so my parents are a huge form of support. So is my partner. I made myself talk about it when I wasn't feeling so great or when I just got kind of in the trenches. I made myself just share and like spread that around to the people I trust. I was in and out of therapy and I wished I would have been in it regularly, but I did do it. I, you know, I do all the things, making myself run and exercise and meditate, but really like trying to keep those habitual. And then also like, you know, I think I got COVID twice and and not seriously, but like if I was sick, just be sick and, you know, push deadlines and just, just like actually care for myself, like actually make sure I cared about myself as much as I did, you know, my sister or anyone else. I also had people on the team who had almost all been affected by this issue in to worse outcomes than my family experienced. So they were so lovely and surrounding myself with those people was 100%, you know, the right move. And I could have done it even more so that all felt really, really important. I think it's easy to look back and think about the things I didn't do that I wish I would have done, but like there were a lot I did do. I re-edited the film twice. 
Wow. Yeah. (laughs) Which sounds like another (laughs) form of self-torture, but I needed to do it. And I, you know, and I, you know, I had to push the budget and raise more money and all the things, but it was worth it because I needed more time with it. And so I just, I tried to like really respect myself in that way that, that I'm not, you know, necessarily used to doing. I also like, this isn't self-care, but like I, I knew that introducing, I, I, I shoot, but I, I, it's not like my specialty, but I knew that introducing another person into the room with me or any of my family members would be mm. too stressful and too anxiety provoking for everybody. We're all such introverts and it was already asking a lot. So, you know, I rented all the equipment and did the two camera setup myself. And again, like I shoved it into too short a time. I should have given myself more time, but like decisions like that can make a huge difference in terms of, you know, how it affects you in the outcome and how it affects them. Speaking of how it affects them, I wanted to talk about how making this film has affected your mom and particularly your sister. I know that your relationship with your sister isn't as strong as you probably would like it to be. And so like, how did making this film affect those relationships or affect them having their story public? Yeah. So we're still waiting on like the wider release. So, you know, in a big public way, but I'd say so far for my mom, I feel like it's been really positive. She's kind of, shared with her community and her neighbors in a new way. Her friends from high school have seen it and she's just had this outpouring of love and support. Every time she's at a festival, it's this outpouring of love and support, which I don't think she's ever really had in her life. And so that's been really beautiful. I got actually a note from one of their neighbors literally right before this podcast hand addressed to me in the mail talking about the film and how she now feels honored to be their friend, my parents' friend, because of what they've been through and what they've overcome. So that's like incredible to see. I couldn't ask for anything more, especially my mom. She's never been very social. She doesn't really trust people and get close to people. So for her to receive that, I I think is like, I hope it's been amazing, but it's like, like my dad gets sick after every screening and I know it's, I know there's a link there. Like it's stressful every time and it's a lot. And every time they want to be supportive and we all, you know, go to a few festivals together and watch it together, but every time it takes its toll. And so now I remind them like, maybe we don't want to sit through the film. Maybe we can just do the Q and A because it's very heavy and we sob every time and you're brought back into those moments. So it's also like, there's a learning curve and it's a lesson all the way. I've never done this before. So, and not many people have, so there's not a lot of people to look towards, but like, you know, after this, I'd love to do a course and like what, what you can do differently and how you can protect yourself and your other film participants because there's ups and downs. And I think there's ways to really protect against the downs. If you know what they are, I didn't know what they were or what they would be. And for my sister, you know, I think when I look back, I think, you know, I I got back behind the camera as a way to like protect her again because I was worried about her again. But I think in hindsight, it also removed me from her as a sister at a time when she might have needed me to just be there and not be filming her. 
And, you know, that's something that I look back on and, you know, it's that balance between preserving yourself versus like removing yourself when maybe that's not the healthiest or the best. Like, are you know, are you hiding or are you documenting? So it's like just kind of those questions you have to ask yourself. And I think that, you know, they are private people. So the, the, publicity of their story has been unsettling to any degree, if it's a friend or if it's whatever. But I do think that, you know, the the awareness of this issue and the way that it people feel so connected to it after this film has, for the most part, I mean, no, no one has been anything but positive and supportive. It's more just the overwhelming nature of the film and how emotional it was for our whole family and reliving that. But in terms of people's reactions, like I couldn't ask for more. It gives me like faith in humanity every time I, you know, screen it or meet or meet new people who touch me with their story and, you know, bravely share their stories who are much more, you know, harrowing than ours. So, so yeah, that's, it's, it's like definitely a mixed bag, but overall, I think positive. Yeah. Yeah. The positive side of being vulnerable is you end up like being able to create a community around yourself of people who understand what you're going through on so many different levels, which is really nice. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think they're used to being vulnerable, like Mm -hmm. publicly. And that that's one of the things about doing an interview with only your sister. It's going to feel like something you shared with only your sister. But yeah, they seem, I mean, they're both really happy with how the film came out. They're both really hoping it will help people. I mean, they have, I think we all feel so lucky that we came out on the other side and Mm -hmm. every day is a question mark, but today they're here and most people can't say that. So I think they feel like if they, if they can be that connection point for anybody or make anybody feel like they're a little less alone in this, then like absolutely was worth it. One of the things that happened at the screening I was at, and I don't know if this was all of the screenings, but they did a Narcan training at the end and passed out Narcan to anyone who wanted in the audience, which I thought was a really amazing way to incorporate action alongside a film. And so I'm wondering what is the larger effect and role of filmmaking in this story? Like teaching people how to use Narcan is like one thing, but like what does storytelling do for the opioid epidemic and how does sharing your personal story impact people? Mm, That's such a good question. I mean, I feel like the reason... And part of the reason I got into this work was because, I mean, you don't care about anything like you do something that affects you or something that you see close up. So if we can give people that experience through storytelling, then you are going to see change in action. I mean, I think it's the biggest agent of change next to living it because there's just nothing comparable. I, This is not an issue that I necessarily would have been pulled towards for any reason, but it's the one I care about, you know, not the most, but up there because I lived it and, you know, I watched it almost take, and it could still take one of my family members from me. So 
that's just, there's nothing that's ever going to come close to that. It changed me fundamentally as a person and every part of me and every part of the way I live my life. So, and I know that's true of any, anybody and any issue. So I did a short a few years ago about a woman who her daughter came out as trans to her as when she was like two or three. And she was a fundamentalist Christian tea partier. And she, you know, she overheard her daughter praying to go home and be with Jesus instead of having to live as a boy one more day. And she knew that she had to support her. And now she has helped form this huge community of moms, of Christian moms who support their LGBTQ plus kids. And I mean, that's just another testament to like, as soon as you're faced with something right in front of you, like that will, that will change how you see that issue or how you see that, you know, person or disparity or what have you. So, or wrongdoing, you know, so, so that's, that's, exactly why I believe in the power of storytelling. And then I think if you can, but I think people are often at a loss after that. You can't give them much. And I mean, you can, but you have to kind of think creatively. So one of our executive producers and one of the film's donors, she, her stepdad actually invented Narcan and she, before she knew him, she lost her brother to overdose. And so she's really passionate about getting Narcan into as many people's hands as possible. She's reversed overdoses herself on the subway platform because usually there's somebody around and if that person has Narcan. So she had this idea to just equip everybody with Narcan who came to the screenings. I mean, there was a shortage for a period, so it did get hard, but we have tried to do it at every festival. I think we've been successful except for one or two. And that was really because the activist groups on the ground said, we can't even get it for the people that we know need it who are active, actively using or injecting drugs. So we're not giving it to film festival audiences, no offense. <laughs> and we were like, we understand. There were massive shortages during COVID, but yeah. And I, I have a, a, a close friend who, after one of the festivals, reversed her husband's overdose with the Narcan that we handed out. And that was, yeah, I, I have no words for it. That's so gratifying. And I just feel lucky if it can be a vehicle for, that's like all I ever wanted. If it could be a vehicle for somebody taking Narcan and then having it on them when they need it, what more could you want out of a film. And then I think just larger, like, even if you don't have an action item, if you can, I mean, I'm going on and on, but if you can make people feel connected personally to any issue, I think that's just, they're going to take that with them next time they go to the doctor, next time they, you know, take a prescription, know, know somebody with alcoholism or any kind of substance use, that's going to change everything, you know, they do and think going forward. Yeah. I think so. I mean, I'm interested in filmmaking in this podcast for like the power that storytelling can have on people of all kinds of things. But this one's really especially impactful and especially important to me, too. So thank you for making this film. Thank you. Uh. Oh, thank you. That's very, very kind of you to say. I appreciate that. Well, yeah. Thanks for having me. <laughs> well, how can people follow you and see the film? I know it's going to have its wider release coming up. So how can people follow along with you and the film? 
Yeah, so the we're looking at hopefully a theatrical release next spring. We're still figuring out broadcast and streaming, so TBD. But uh, it's playing festivals. We're also doing a lot of impact work this fall and winter, partnering with medical conferences and activist organizations to do some private or pre-release screenings and just see how we can work together. So if anybody works or is active in that space, definitely uh, our website is anonymoussister.com and you can click on a button there to partner with us and contact us. And it goes straight to me and the, our impact campaign producer who uh, is putting all this together. So we're really looking forward to that. And then, yeah, we do have social media. It's Anonymous Sister Film on Instagram and Facebook. I think Twitter too. It might be a non-sister on Twitter, but you can find it. And anonymoussister.com. We keep all the screenings. We also keep all of our running impact work. And most importantly, all the organizations that we're partnering with across the country. So at every festival for these Narcan trainings, we've gotten organizations have partnered and provided it all for free, provided the training for free. So all of their sites and work is also on our website. I think people need resources in their local communities. I know they do. And these groups, no matter what city you live in, there's support. There's support groups, there's phone lines, there's people who want to help, who are ready and willing and the most wonderful people I've met. So I just say like, the resources are there. Thank God now. So just, you know, seek them out, share your story because probably the person next to you is going through it too at this point, sadly. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much. I'm going to put all those links and ways to follow the film in the show notes so you guys can check that out. Thank you, Jamie. <laughs> so nice to finally sit down to talk and I, f- I actually feel really good. I'm glad you can cross this off your list. <laughs> Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. I admire Jamie's passion for using this film to make a positive impact and to be a stepping point for opiate addiction, education, and action. So in line with that, I wanted to give some space for my childhood friend Chelsea to share some info about her Milwaukee-based nonprofit. Hi, my name is Chelsea England, and I'm the founder and director of MKE Overdose Prevention. Our mission is to make harm reduction tools and education accessible in all Milwaukee communities and foster safe spaces for conversations on recovery. After struggling with opiate addiction and being in recovery for many years, it became clear there is no one-size-fits-all program for people experiencing addiction. We respect everyone's journey to recovery, even if that doesn't mean absolute sobriety. We strive to provide our communities with the knowledge on staying proactive by ensuring every person has access to bodily autonomy and the healthcare tools that they need. Our trainings are tailored to communities, individuals, and businesses who are interested in learning how to use and carry life-saving tools like Narcan and fentanyl test strips. Our monthly community training takes place every first Tuesday of the month at the Daily Bird in River West. If you would like to learn more about us, get involved, or attend future events, follow us on Facebook or Instagram, or email us directly at mkeoverdoseprevention at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. The music is Lost and Bound by Talene Kelly. The podcast artwork is by Whitney Salgado. And I'm your host, Don Borchardt. 
And if you're not already subscribed to the podcast, please do so on whatever platform you're listening to. And if you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, a review would really help us reach a broader audience. And if you're not following us on Instagram already, you can find us at Pod. Thank you all so much.